Poetry Month may be over, but not on Scribble. Welcome to Scribble, 30 minutes of conversation, comments, and reviews on reading and writing, editing, publishing, and selling books. I'm Rebecca Wee. And I'm Don Wooten. We add one more poet to our spring roster, Melissa Conway. She's our guest today on Scribble. Well, Melissa... It's good to meet you, and you come highly recommended as an enthusiastic person. <laughs> That's exciting to hear. <laughs> it's nice to meet you. Well, it's uh, <clears throat> it's interesting that quite often when people come on this program and sit down, it's the first time we've encountered, mm-hmm. and uh, it's always an interesting engagement, mm-hmm. I must say. Whatever prompted you to start writing poetry, Melissa? Oh, gosh. Well, I started reading quite a bit when I was younger. My older sister taught me how to read way before I started kind of learning in school. And I was just always so fascinated with the way that you can use language to communicate. And I had actually started by writing short stories. I was just writing little I'd call them my imagination books, and it was just things that I thought of that I thought were really neat, and wouldn't it be really neat if that was real, and wouldn't it be really neat if I could find a way to communicate how wonderful this idea is to other people in a way that they'd understand. Um, So I've always been writing as long as I can remember, but poetry really, I think, got me in high school when I was going through through those very (laughs) angsty years Mm -hmm. of big feelings and not knowing what to do with them. And I started writing more kind of freeform, just get all my thoughts on a paper. And I had an English teacher, um, Mr. Nevins, who really encouraged me to join a poetry group that was at my high school. Um, And that really took my writing from just thoughts and ideas to, oh, this is a real thing. There's structure and there's form and it's such a brilliant way to communicate. And that really took me from, Mm -hmm. oh, I like to write things to I like to write poetry. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. uh, people forget, I think, <clears throat> sometimes how tough adolescence is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> In high school, you are going through so Everything. many things. Yes, yeah. I've got uh, notebooks and notebooks. So oh, I do too. All of the logs, I'm like, oh my gosh, how did I make it? Yeah, <laughs> and everybody kind of who kept notebooks or mm-hmm. did writing at that age, yeah, I think the the sort of, I don't know, amazement and maybe some horror and shame <laughs> that go along with looking back at what, but it, yeah, it rocks you. It's, mm-hmm. you're in between being a kid and being an adult and you don't know what's going on. Oh yeah, it's all kinds of things. Hormones are surging. Yeah. Your brain is continuing to develop. Yeah. Uh, you're encountering people in a different way mm-hmm. and, uh, so many people in high school now are ret- retreating to iPhones mm-hmm. rather than direct encounter. And that direct encounter is really important. I think th- that the pandemic helped people. I mean, not that they're on their phones any less, but that there was mm-hmm. a recognition of, I don't want to do school 
on a screen and on a phone, and I don't want to, you know, that we do need to see each other. Mm-hmm. Um, cause, because I think the studies they've done on, like, seventh graders, eighth graders, maybe more than the younger ones even, um, they were really miserable um, being mm-hmm. cut off from... Yeah. yeah, it's an important social dynamic. Oh, absolutely. People are such social creatures, yeah. and not having that is really harmful. But even, I think, before phones, especially for me, like books and things oh, that yeah. can really take you, it's that kind of want yeah. to socialize versus that want to escape somewhere. Yeah. That, like, phones have kind of replaced that for a lot of young people. Yeah, you're right. Well, did you find books an escape? Yeah, definitely. Growing up, I would... I just had such bad social anxiety that I didn't know a name mm-hmm. for it when I was a kid. I just thought I hated talking to people, hated being around people. But when I read books, it was fun and it was interesting. And I felt like I kind of belonged in a space where I was reading. And yeah. so having that escape where now I think if I was 12 going through this, I'd be on my phone watching TikToks and things like that instead. But it was just that a way to connect with the world without having to be present be in it. In it. Uh-huh. Yeah. Those books yeah, were problem, really important for me. The problem with TikTok, <clears throat> you're connecting with uh, a disordered and fantastic world. Mm. Well, maybe maybe our books are that as well. Depends <laughs> on what you're reading. Yeah. Well, something about books is at least they're clearly labeled fiction, nonfiction. Right. And something yeah. that I've noticed, especially with, because I, I teach um, summer programs for teenagers and things like that. And a lot of times they'll have stories or ideas that... Yeah, maybe they think are rooted in reality when they're not because a lot of the content they're watching isn't always labeled this is real or this is heightened reality or this is made up these are sketches yeah and not having that clear distinction you can't google it the way you can google is this book real (laughs) Uh, videos and things like that are often presented as this is true this is reality this is happening yeah when that's not the case well but you're teaching huh Mm -hmm. how does that happen uh, what do you mean? <laughs> well, I mean, how did you become a teacher? Oh, well, I do. I just teach um, the Young Emerging Writers Workshops through the Midwest Writing Center. It's a fantastic program. Um, and I actually started that when I met Ryan Collins, um, who was a substitute professor yeah. for one of my poetry classes for a short time. But we met, and after I graduated, he'd reached out. Um, and said that he liked the way I workshopped and if I would be interested in being a group leader for the Young Emerging Writers Workshop, they'd love to have me, which was really fantastic because usually a lot of it is if you're in the Young Emerging Writers Program and you kind of age out, a lot of those people are workshop leaders and they have the experience and they know what it's like. So I just felt really honored that I got to come in and be a workshop leader even though I hadn't been a part of it since I was, you know, younger. So that was really cool and I've been doing that every year since. Yeah, I remember when I was teaching, I read more than I'd ever read before. <laughs> yes. And was and had to order my thoughts. Yeah. So that I made sense. You, mm-hmm. you yep. encounter that? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, we do a lot of workshopping, so it's we'll read the interns' work and they'll have all of these amazing big things and being able to have good feedback that mm-hmm. is concise but still encouraging. And I feel like for me, I always have the urge to veer on the edge of, I think it's incredible that you wrote this and it's perfect and it's amazing when they're not looking for that. They're looking for how do I make my work better? And so Mm. I always have to rein myself in and really go through the work and think, okay, if I read this in a literary journal, 
or if I read mm-hmm. this as like a freelance thing, I do editing sometimes and trying to take that in and think, okay, this is not this brilliant, wonderful student I know. This is work. This is something that can be improved, but how? Yeah. And that's, I think, definitely the hardest part for me is having yeah. that ability to think, nope, I have to think critically about this. I can't just say it's wonderful because I think you're wonderful. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's yeah. the hardest part. How do you critique your own work? Um, (laughs) very brutally and very often. Um, I, I think when it comes to the critiquing and editing process for my own work, I, it's hard. I think I have such a just reverence for language, for the way that it's a tool for communication and wanting to have every single word in a piece be the exact right word. That's exactly what I mean. But then it still has to flow and it has to look right on the page and it has to all work together. And it's, I think I definitely get in my head way too much about it of, but it's not perfect yet. Yes. But it could be perfect. But I've been writing the same piece for six years and it's not perfect (laughs) yet. Well, I've told, I've said this probably on the show before, but one of my teachers who people knew about because he was really well known, Donald Mm -hmm. Hall, Mm -hmm. when he came to the Quad Cities to give a reading, there he was. He always writes in the morning and he was at his desk writing away. (laughs) But he had one of his books that had been out for like 25 years and he was scratching things out and writing the margin. (laughs) And I was kind of going, but Don, people have memorized that, you know, that's out there. That's, that's. He's like, ah, it could be better. (laughs) And so, you know, no matter how well-known you might be or how famous you get, um, I think that impulse of Mm -hmm. this could be better is both a detriment to publishing probably sometimes Mm -hmm. because you sit on it for too long, but also some of my absolute best student writers are really hard on themselves, mm-hmm. and I think well, it does. Wait, 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 wait a minute, you two. <laughs> what about the statement that poetry is the, spons- oh. the spontaneous overflow of powerful emotion? Yeah, uh, later on, that? later on. <laughs> How do you square that with all this editing? That's one, one person thought of poetry, <laughs> one take on it. You know, then you've got the beats who are like, we're never revising anything. You know, you got to write it down the way it comes to you and never look back. Yeah. So, you know, somewhere in between those realms, I guess, is what, mm-hmm. what you aim for. Because you yeah. do want to trust some of the energy that brings something mm-hmm. to the page that makes you feel like, I need to write about this. Yeah. And you can be so picky that you edit that energy out and mm-hmm. make it worse. Yes, I've done that where I, I go too. back to an old draft. I'm like, this is beautiful. Why did I change Why it? Why did I cut it? I used to be someone who would never edit anything. Yeah. And I have my, I have a book out. It's called Sundog. And it's 36 poems. All of them are unedited from when I wrote them. Oh. And it's like a poem a month for three years. And I, when doing this project, just so badly wanted that moment captured yeah. of what that month was. And I didn't want to change it. I didn't want to try to yeah. retroactively fit it into what I want yep. my life's narrative to be. Yep. It was real. And I think the book is beautiful and honest and awful. <laughs> and awful. It's so <laughs> reading it. I'm like, oh, I should have changed that. I should have changed that. But when I was working on it, it not is. editing it was so important to me. Yeah. And it's not that I regret that. It's just so, I think, interesting to think about how that was my biggest passion was the honesty in the moment. And I've kind of moved to, yeah. I just want this to be good. 
Well, it's such a different kind of mindset. And that was the conversation we ended up having with Hall when he was here because mm-hmm. students were saying, well, why don't you just, I told them that he was revising his published work <laughs> when we when he came to class. And they were saying, well, why wouldn't you just write a new poem for what, <laughs> you, don't you know, <laughs> what's going on right now? In the, you know, and never mind what you were writing 20 mm-hmm. or 30 years ago. And that's when he was saying, but it can always be better. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> it was a great question because, mm-hmm. yeah, now he, what, what, how old was he when he you was know, here? You know, writing for a newspaper, I figure <laughs> that people, if they read this, will read it and toss it. So don't worry about it. And when I finish writing something, I scan it briefly and then file it. And then my mistake is not to go back and look at it a day later. (laughs) Yeah. Because then I could catch at least the typos. Yeah. Well, I know that feeling. But then when I go back, then I start revising and then something interrupts me and I never send it. Mm -hmm. You know, so that Mm -hmm. energy of just I finished it, don't. Don't proofread and get fussy about it. Get it out. But it depends, obviously, on what it is that you're writing. Mm -hmm. Looking back over the years, I come across something and think, wow, did I write that? (laughs) You know, that's really Mm -hmm. nice. And then another one, oh, this is garbage. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. So Melissa was just saying, I love the idea of that project, Mm -hmm. to just sit down and say, it's going to be what it is, and I'm not touching it mm-hmm. but, yeah and I love having that as a physical thing that exists now yeah yeah mm-hmm. let's do a little mulching shall we <laughs> yeah let's do yeah. <laughs> this is uh what occasioned this poem hmm? what occasioned this poem why did you write this poem? oh so I was driving from college I was going to Augustana and I was driving home to Ottawa Illinois most of it's on I-80, and I had been having a really bad week, and I had just needed to go home. I needed to see my mom. I just needed to not be at school anymore, and I was driving and just really deep into my thoughts, and I saw a dead fox that was just roadkill, and it was something that I'd never really given thought to of how often I see roadkill, yeah. and it turned into these thoughts of, like, well, there's streets everywhere and there's roadkill everywhere. But when these animals are animals you see or meet or like, no, Mm -hmm. it's so different. And I just was thinking about this creature and the fact that it had a life and now it doesn't. And I just thought it was really just something that I see every day and never thought about before. And I think the thing that hit me the most was I never thought about this before. So did you pull over and look at it up close or Mm -mm. do you just you saw enough and you remembered Mm -hmm. it later? Yeah, it lives in your memory. Yep. Mm -hmm. Read us the poem. All right. It's called To Mulch. A dead fox, all copper black and sprawled on the side of the road between Rock Island and Ottawa, Peoria next exit. Rotting stays rotten, a rotting thing left crossing, cracked and crush, crossing here to crack and crush, steeped in transit. I'd light a candle in the altar of its rib cage. If only I could stop my car long enough to light a candle in reverence at the altar of its craving greener. Its headlight drilled, skin-ripped skull, matted paws, a delicate thing. 
a thing of organ and thought and patient practices all its own, now full of delicate things, alive and full of delicate things, yes, alive and alive, wriggling maggot blood back to the earth, steeped shoulder more mud than iron now, flood water will bring it back to the forest's own removal, stagnant caught in weathered freeze. There will be a blooming in the spring, shooting forth from ligament, tendons, gut still encased, bloated and pulsating, the spiraled mimic of morning stretches, grotesque in the way it sticks to the wind, I'll be gone after hibernation, already in motion, a readying motion, I am driving home for the first time in a long, long time. I often wonder what it means to take ourselves across distances like this. How lonely it is to kill and keep moving. How lonely to kill and say you made it home safe. How lonely it is to mulch and to mulch and to mulch away the world beneath our bodies. To mulch and to mulch and to mulch until we are born to maggot and mushroom. To highway asphalt smeared over inaccessible expanses of Americana decay to drive death with the need to feed the earth a nutritious rot, nurturing breakdown of life turned to mulch in self-heating wonder. Wow. Yeah, beautiful. <laughs> beautiful in its, in its ghastliness, you mm-hmm. know, if you think about it that way. Um, it makes me think of a Gerald Stern poem that you may want to look up later, just called Behaving Like a Jew. And he's okay. Jewish, was, he's died fairly recently, but he he did the same thing. He actually, the whole poem is about, I think it was a possum Ooh. in his, and he stops the car and just says, I'm not okay with this, you know, mm. with all the with all the traffic and with he has this beautiful, beautiful, you know, what's uglier than a possum? And at the very end, mm-hmm. he's, I mean, you've done beautifully in a very different voice, but the same thing is it kind of the end. The thing that interests me is the repetition. Mm-hmm. Yeah, certain words, certain phrases, certain images that mm-hmm. come back and come back and come back. Like yeah. the words to mulch, to mm-hmm. mulch. Um, I was thinking how what a what a cool little phrase that is. To mulch is almost well. It's the start of the word tumultuous, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's also like too much, too much, too much. Well, it's interesting. We're now mulching human bodies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a new way of disposal Burial. of corpses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And a lot of people would prefer it that way. Yeah. You know, why are we burying these big boxes mm-hmm. and taking up land? Yeah, and, and filling the dirt with preservative chemicals and yeah. all this stuff. But it's yeah. well, a very strange thing of, well, it's a body which people have a lot of reverence for versus yeah. returning to nature. And it's, I think, a really interesting discussion. I well, don't know. Everything is starting to feel like a bad omen to me. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Want to read that one? Yeah, I do. All right. Are we ready? We are ready. Okay. This is, everything is starting to feel like a bad omen. The way my hair keeps growing longer no matter how short I cut it. The way I can't drink enough water to keep my lips from chapped cracking and shredding skin like the bark of the dogwood outside of our apartment. The way the peregrine falcon we saw from the porch of my grandmother's cabin, tracing the coastline, turned up dead at the shore the next morning, its body mirror wound at the heartbreak, bones spent 
or bones bent hollow and hungry. The way the starlings peak and crust over the horizon, speaking in tongues, how I can't name their need like I can the field sparrow or chimney swift, begging me for something I can't understand. The way they spell it out in the sky, in these cyclical murmurations, a portend of some kind of biblical doom, and I can do nothing but stare, dumb and drowning, nothing but stare and say, I'm sorry. We forgot to listen somewhere along the way. I have buried my body in the rocky shore, and I cannot get back up. I have buried my body in the rocky shores, and I cannot dig back out. I can feel my bones melting through root and rut, regurgitated longing for something I can't name, something my mother couldn't name, a question we both inherited, one I was so determined to answer. But somewhere along the way, I have buried my body far, far underneath, where the shore meets horizon, meets sky, meets song, and it is all starting to feel like a bad omen. Wow. Mm-hmm. Oh, that is something. Yeah. I must say, it's a. Uh, I like cyclical murmurations. Yes, <laughs> especially because you've just been talking about the starlings mm-hmm. and the whole and their murmuration yeah. of starlings, which is yeah. very yeah. fascinating behavior in those birds. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's it? true. Mm-hmm. That's true. It's uh, you have an interesting. <clears throat> an interesting take on things here, I must say. Let's not stop. Give me another one. <laughs> How about technophobia? All right. So, <clears throat> I suffer from that. Yes. <laughs> it is something I struggle with. <laughs> All right. Technophobia. Body open. There is a monster in the machine, a tech-savvy giant whining through the wires. The beast is turning lights on in unoccupied rooms, holding a flicker to the flame. I ask myself, when have I ever been left this alone? So petrified in the blackout, pixel-pocked shapes in the windows of my second-story office speak to me, managing my calendars, a daemon lurking in the background process, whisking the milk into something red, a witch's curdled cattle source, a pop-up pings at the corner of my eye telling me not to go home yet. Error. Wait for the witching hour. Cancel. Continue. I think this is called a distraction. Espionage from the deep web. Spiders wove a home through cyberspace. Popped up between my keys. I can no longer use the Q-W-E-R-T-Y row on my laptop. There is a cluster, hatching against the ram stick, unplugging the battery from the heartbeat, yes, the pulse, the source of the fall, it sinks so near my rooftop, dripping cables knit across the county, I want the lights off bright to keep the buzzing ghosts from burning out through the wires, but the bulbs keep popping at the flick of a switch, epiphany shattered at the tri-pronged wellspring, batteries drained before the charge rings complete, I think I'm heavy-hearted enough to die at first shock, unplugged outlet, undying electric cinema screens that hurt me so soundly when I'm dreaming on my feet. How does a siren sing so binary? It turns my skin to coded out loops while I is less than four. Print it hurts. I equals I plus one. So it hurts. It hurts. It hurts. It hurts. I sent my neighbors away, screaming router talk in dial-up days. I am haunted. Send help. Send help when I'm error-coded, glitching, clipping. Send help when I'm set to run. 
I'm stuck sorting out the past through facial recognition. Bodies coated in intoxicating software sneering. Why do they still visit in the LED light blocks of my memory, my head, bursting with error at itching skull, displaying less than one gigabyte remaining? To fill before the flood comes to upload us all in pairs, I'm downloading MP4 and PDF and JPG, but nothing has substance enough. Nothing has matter enough. Nothing has tangibility enough to make a difference. I am set to delete on command. I am set to automatically refresh every 24 hours, check for updates. I am begging to be forgotten, but not forgiven. I am set with hourly reminders screeching, there was something, 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 there was something. Something you have to remember. But I am done waiting for the execution. Close body. Uh, <clears throat> you write tough poems. I'll say that. <laughs> you really do. Yeah. <laughs> well, you're weaving lots of lots of ideas and lots of terrain and mm-hmm. lots of. I mean, this one is fascinating because the whole idea of technology taking over everything, Mm -hmm. but we're all contributing and we're all part of it. And how, yeah, how do we navigate that in a healthy Mm -hmm. way? And the part I loved toward the end was the um, nothing has matter enough, nothing has tangibility enough to Mm -hmm. make a difference. You know, kind of the phenomenon of the world happening somewhere other than in our rooms and Mm -hmm. in our actual lives. So I I love how you've kind of got these, um, what do we even call them, different planes of um, existence and consciousness. Mm-hmm. It's really cool. Thank but you. the interest, the thing that interests me mm-hmm. is I see you and you are a sunny person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that's not all you are, is it? <laughs> I have a lot of big feelings. <laughs> But some of these are dark and deep. Um, yeah, I think that I have so much love for the world. I love that I'm here. That hasn't always been the case. And this struggle between when I see the world and I see people, there, I just feel so much love and want and hope. And then there are things like the way I have let something like technology take over my life in a way that I can feel that it's hurting me and I can feel that I'm not using it in a helpful way and I can feel that it's making me feel sick about the world Yeah. Yep. when I don't want to and knowing that that's my own doing but I'm not the only one but how do I fix it but what does that mean to be a person yeah. in the world it just and it gets very overwhelming and I think writing about it for me is a is good way to way. sort it out yeah mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah and that's, you know, that's very true. I think for any person of sensitivity, the way technology has moved in is upsetting. Yeah. It really is. Uh, I go to my computer in the morning mostly to just wipe everything out <laughs> and mm-hmm. read the news. And then I go to it again in the afternoon to see if someone is in, needs to contact me. And then again at night. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I keep the darn thing turned off. Mm-hmm. But the, yeah. uh, there are a lot of, especially young people maybe, but a lot of my colleagues too, who 
don't feel like they can shut it down because everybody expects you to be immediately mm-hmm. accessible. And yes. I don't care what contact. other people expect. <laughs> well, and I think you're in a position probably now, too, where you can make some distance. But for, mm-hmm. you know, I, my daughter yeah. scolded me a few years back saying, you know, one of her friends, her mom thinks you're really rude when you don't answer texts right away. <laughs> and I thought, at it. Yeah, I thought, well... You're going to have to tell your friend that I just don't carry my phone around. I yeah. don't want to be yeah. reachable at every yeah, moment. And there's also, well, it's not always a choice. Because, like, example, I was a computer science major turned graphic design major. Sure. My eight hours a day minimum, I'm at a computer working. I'm in an office. Yeah. I've got that. And if I you need can't. my work phone with me, I need to be accessible at all times if I'm on call for something. And it's Well, here comes that clock. <laughs> A bit of technology that's shutting us down. Uh Melissa, thank you so much for spending time with us. It really has been interesting. Thank you. And that'll do it for now. Rebecca, we and I enjoyed your company. We'll see you next week on the next Scribble.